Section 11 of Father Goriot by Honoré Balzac Translated by Ellen Marriage This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 11 Eugene, watching the old man's face, thought that his friend was light-headed. Come, he said, do not talk any more. You must rest. Just then Biencon came in, and Eugene went down to dinner. The two students sat up with him that night, relieving each other in turn. Biencon brought up his medical books and studied. Eugene wrote letters home to his mother and sisters. Next morning Biencon thought the symptoms more hopeful, but the patient's condition demanded continual attention, which the two students alone were willing to give, a task impossible to describe in the squeamish phraseology of the epoch. Leeches must be applied to the wasted body, the poultices and hot foot-baths, and other details of the treatment required the physical strength and devotion of the two young men. Madame de Rostaud did not come, but she sent a messenger for the money. I expected she would come herself, but it would have been a pity for her to come. She would have been anxious about me, said the father, and to all appearances he was well content. At seven o'clock that evening, Therese came with a letter from Delphine. What are you doing, dear friend? I have been loved for a very little while, and I am neglected already. In the confidences of heart and heart, I have learned to know your soul. You are too noble not to be faithful for ever. For you know that love, with all its infinite subtle changes of feeling, is never the same. Once you said, as we were listening to the prayer in Mosi d'Egito, for some it is the monotony of a single note, for others it is the infinite of sound. Remember that I am expecting you this evening to take me to Madame de Beauseant's ball. Everyone knows now that the king signed Monsieur d'Ajuda's marriage contract this morning, and the poor vicomtesse knew nothing of it until two o'clock this afternoon. All Paris will flock to her house, of course, just as a crowd fills the Place de Grieve to see an execution. It is horrible, is it not, to go out of curiosity, to see if she will hide her anguish, and whether she will die courageously. I certainly should not go, my friend, if I had been at her house before. But of course she will not receive society any more after this, and all my efforts will be in vain. My position is a very unusual one, and besides... I am going there partly on your account. I am waiting for you. If you are not beside me in less than two hours, I do not know whether I could forgive such treason. Rastignac took up a pen and wrote, I am waiting till the doctor comes to know if there is any hope of your father's life. He is lying dangerously ill. I will come and bring you the news, but I am afraid it may be a sentence of death. When I come, you will decide whether you can go to the ball. Yours a thousand times. At half-past eight the doctor arrived. He did not take a very hopeful view of the case, but thought that there was no immediate danger. Improvements and relapses 
might be expected and the good man's life and reason hung in the balance it would be better for him to die at once the doctor said as he took leave eugene left goriot to biencon's care and went to carry the sad news to madame de nucingen family feeling lingered in her and this must put an end for the present to her plans of amusement tell her to enjoy her evening as if nothing had happened cried goriot he had been lying in a sort of stupor but he suddenly sat upright as eugene went out eugene half heartbroken entered delphine's her hair had been dressed she wore her dancing slippers she had only to put on her ball dress but when the artist is giving the finishing stroke to his creation the last touches require more time than the whole groundwork of the picture why you are not dressed she cried madame your father my father again she exclaimed breaking in upon him you need not teach me what is due to my father i have known my father this long while not a word eugene i will hear what you have to say when you are dressed my carriage is waiting take it go round to your rooms and dress therese has put out everything in readiness for you come back as soon as you can we will talk about my father on the way to madame de beauseant's we must go early if we have to wait our turn in a row of carriages we shall be lucky if we get there by eleven o'clock madame quick not a word she cried darting into her dressing-room for a necklace do go monsieur eugene or you will vex madame said therese hurrying him away and eugene was too horror-stricken by this elegant parricide to resist he went to his rooms and dressed sad thoughtful and dispirited the world of paris was like an ocean of mud for him just then and it seemed that whoever set foot in that black mire must needs sink into it up to the chin their crimes are paltry said eugene to himself vautrin was greater he had seen society in its three great phases obedience struggle and revolt the family the world and vautrin and he hesitated in his choice obedience was dull revolt impossible struggle hazardous his thoughts wandered back to the home circle he thought of the quiet uneventful life the pure happiness of the days spent among those who loved him there those loving and beloved beings passed their lives in obedience to the natural laws of the hearth and in that obedience found deep and constant serenity unvexed by torments such as these yet for all his good impulses he could not bring himself to make profession of the religion of pure souls to delphine nor to prescribe the duties of piety to her in the name of love his education had begun to bear its fruits he loved selfishly already besides his tact had discovered to him the real nature of delphine he divined instinctively that she was capable of stepping over her father's corpse to go to the ball and within herself he felt that he had neither the strength of mind to play the part of mentor nor the strength of character to vex her 
nor the courage to leave her to go alone she would never forgive me for putting her in the wrong over it he said to himself then he turned the doctor's dictum over in his mind he tried to believe that goriot was not so dangerously ill as he had imagined and ended by collecting together a sufficient quantity of traitorous excuses for delphine's conduct she did not know how ill her father was the kind old man himself would have made her go to the ball if she had gone to see him so often it happens that this one or that stands condemned by the social laws that govern family relations and yet there are peculiar circumstances in the case differences of temperament divergent interests innumerable complications of family life that excuse the apparent offence eugene did not wish to see too clearly he was ready to sacrifice his conscience to his mistress within the last few days his whole life had undergone a change woman had entered into his world and thrown it into chaos family claims dwindled away before her she had appropriated all his being to her uses rastignac and delphine found each other at a crisis in their lives when their union gave them the most poignant bliss their passion so long proved had only gained in strength by the gratified desire that often extinguishes passion this woman was his and eugene recognized that not until then had he loved her perhaps love is only gratitude for pleasure this woman vile or sublime he adored for the, the pleasure she had brought as her dower and delphine loved rastignac as tantalus would have loved some angel who had satisfied his hunger and quenched the burning thirst in his parched throat well said madame de nucingen when he came back in evening dress how is my father very dangerously ill he answered if you will grant me a proof of your affections we will just go to see him on the way very well she said yes but afterwards dear eugene do be nice and don't preach to me come they set out eugene said nothing for a while what is it now she asked i can hear the death rattle in your father's throat he said almost angrily and with the hot indignation of youth he told the story of madame de rostaud's vanity and cruelty of her father's final act of self-sacrifice that had brought about this struggle between life and death of the price that had been paid for anastasie's golden embroideries delphine cried i shall look frightful she thought she dried her tears i will nurse my father i will not leave his bedside she said aloud ah now you are as i would have you exclaimed rastignac the lamps of five hundred carriages lit up the darkness about the hotel de Beauzion. the gendarme in all the glory of his uniform stood on either side of the brightly lighted gateway the great world was flocking thither that night in its eager curiosity to see the great lady at the moment of her fall and the rooms on the ground floor were already full to overflowing when madame de nucingen and rastignac appeared never since louis the fourteenth 
tore her lover away from la grande mademoiselle and the whole court hastened to visit that unfortunate princess had a disastrous love affair made such a sensation in paris but the youngest daughter of the almost royal house of burgundy had risen proudly above her pain and moved to the last moment like a queen in this world its vanities had always been valueless to her save in so far as they contributed to the triumph of her passion the salons were filled with the most beautiful women in paris resplendent in their toilettes and radiant with smiles ministers and ambassadors the most distinguished men at court men bedizened with decorations stars and ribbons men who bore the most illustrious names in france had gathered about the vicomtesse the music of the orchestra vibrated in wave after wave of sound from the golden ceiling of the palace now made desolate for its queen madame de beauseant stood at the door of the first salon to receive the guests who were styled her friends she was dressed in white and wore no ornament in the plaits of hair braided about her head her face was calm there was no sign there of pride nor of pain nor of joy that she did not feel no one could read her soul she stood there like some niobe carved in marble for a few intimate friends there was a tinge of satire in her smile but no scrutiny saw any change in her nor had she looked otherwise in the days of the glory of her happiness the most callous of her guests admired her as young rome applauded some gladiator who could die smiling it seemed as if society had adorned itself for a last audience of one of its sovereigns i am afraid that you would not come she said to rastignac madame he said in an unsteady voice taking her speech as a reproach i shall be the last to go that is why i am here good she said and she took his hand you are perhaps the only one i can trust here among all these oh my friend when you love love a woman whom you are sure that you can love always never forsake a woman she took rastignac's arm and went towards a sofa in the card-room i want you to go to the marquis she said jacques my footman will go with you he has a letter that you will take i am asking the marquis to give my letters back to me he will give them all up i like to think that when you have my letters go up to my room with them some one will bring me word she rose to go to meet the duchesse de longuier her most intimate friend who had come like the rest of the world rastignac went he asked for the marquis d'ajuda at the hotel rochefide feeling certain that the latter would be spending his evening there and so it proved the marquis went to his own house with rastignac and gave a casket to the student saying as he did so they are all there he seemed as if he was about to say something to eugene to ask about the ball or the vicomtesse perhaps he was on the brink of the confession that even then he was in despair and knew that his marriage had been a fatal mistake but a proud gleam shone in his eye 
and with deplorable courage he kept his noblest feelings a secret do not even mention my name to her my dear eugene he grasped rastignac's hand sadly and affectionately and turned away from him eugene went back to the hotel Beauzion. the servant took him to the vicomtesse's room there were signs there of preparations for a journey he sat down by the fire fixed his eyes on the cedar-wood casket and fell into deep mournful musings madame de Beauzion loomed large in these imaginings like a goddess in the iliad ah my friend said the vicomtesse she crossed the room and laid her hand on rastignac's shoulder he saw the tears in his cousin's uplifted eyes saw that one hand was raised to take the casket and that the fingers of the other trembled suddenly she took the casket put it in the fire and watched it burn they are dancing she said they all came very early but death will be long in coming hush my friend and she laid a finger on rastignac's lips seeing that he was about to speak i shall never see paris again i am taking my leave of the world at five o'clock this morning i shall set out on my journey i mean to bury myself in the remotest part of normandy i have had very little time to make my arrangements since three o'clock this afternoon i have been busy signing documents setting my affairs in order there was no one whom i could send to she broke off he was sure to be again she broke off the weight of a sorrow was more than she could bear in such moments as these everything is agony and some words are impossible to utter and so i counted upon you to do me this last piece of service this evening she said i should like to give you some pledge of friendship i shall often think of you you have seemed to me to be kind and noble fresh-hearted and true in this world where such qualities are seldom found i should like you to think sometimes of me stay she said glancing about her there is this box that has held my gloves every time i opened it before going to a ball or to the theatre i used to feel that i must be beautiful because i was so happy and i never touched it except to lay some gracious memory in it there is so much of my old self in it of a madame de Beauzion who now lives no longer will you take it i will leave directions that it is to be sent to you in the rue d'artois madame de nucingen looked very charming this evening eugene you must love her perhaps we may never see each other again my friend but be sure of this that i shall pray for you who have been kind to me now let us go downstairs people shall not think that i am weeping i have all time and eternity before me and where i am going i shall be alone and no one will ask me the reason of my tears one last look round first she stood for a moment then she covered her eyes with her hands for an instant dashed away the tears bathed her face with cold water and took the student's arm let us go she said this suffering endured with such noble fortitude shook eugene with a more violent emotion than he had felt before 
they went back to the ballroom and madame de beauseant went through the rooms on eugene's arm the last delicately gracious act of a gracious woman in another moment he saw the sisters madame de rostaud and madame de nucingen the countess shone in all the glory of her magnificent diamonds every stone must have been scorched like fire she was never to wear them again strong as love and pride might be in her she found it difficult to meet her husband's eyes the sight of her was scarcely calculated to lighten rastignac's sad thoughts through the blaze of those diamonds he seemed to see the wretched pallet bed on which father goriot was lying the vicomtesse misread his melancholy she withdrew her hand from his arm come she said i must not deprive you of a pleasure eugene was soon claimed by delphine she was delighted by the impression that she had made and eager to lay at her lover's feet the homage she had received in this new world in which she hoped to live and move henceforth what do you think of nassie she asked him she has discounted everything even her own father's death said rastignac towards four o'clock in the morning the rooms began to empty a little later the music ceased and the duchesse de longier and rastignac were left in the great ballroom the vicomtesse who thought to find the student there alone came back there at last she had taken leave of monsieur de beauseant who had gone off to bed saying again as he went it is a great pity my dear to shut yourself up at your age pray stay among us madame de beauseant saw the duchess and in spite of herself an exclamation broke from her i saw how it was clara said madame de longier you are going from among us and you will never come back but you must not go until you have heard me until we have understood each other she took her friend's arm and they went together into the next room there the duchesse looked at her with tears in her eyes she held her friend in close embrace and kissed her cheek i could not let you go without a word dearest the remorse would have been too hard to bear you can count upon me as surely as upon yourself you have shown yourself great this evening i feel that i am worthy of your friendship and i mean to prove myself worthy of it i have not always been kind i was in the wrong forgive me dearest i wish i could unsay anything that may have hurt you i take back those words one common sorrow has brought us together again for i do not know which of us is the more miserable monsieur de montriveau was not here to-night do you understand what that means none of those who saw you to-night clara will ever forget you i mean to make one last effort i shall go into a convent clara where are you going into normandy to courcelles i shall love and pray there until the day when god shall take me from this world called the vicomtesse in a tremulous voice remembering that the young man was waiting there the student knelt to kiss his cousin's hand good-bye antoinette said madame de beauseant may you be happy 
she turned to the student you are young she said you have some beliefs still left i have been privileged like some dying people to find sincere and reverent feeling in those about me as i take my leave of this world it was nearly five o'clock that morning when rastignac came away he had put madame de beauseant into her travelling carriage and received her last farewells spoken amid fast falling tears for no greatness is so great that it can rise above the laws of human affection or live beyond the jurisdiction of pain as certain demagogues would have the people believe eugene returned on foot to the maison vauquet through the cold and darkness his education was nearly complete there is no hope for poor father goriot said bianchon as rastignac came into the room eugene looked for a while at the sleeping man then he turned to his friend dear fellow you are content with the modest career you have marked out for yourself keep to it i am in hell and i must stay there believe everything that you hear said of the world nothing is too impossibly bad no juvenile could paint the horrors hidden away under the covering of gems and gold at two o'clock in the afternoon bianchon came to wake rastignac and begged him to take charge of goriot who had grown worse as the day wore on the medical student was obliged to go out poor old man he has not two days to live maybe not many hours he said but we must do our utmost all the same to fight the disease it will be a very troublesome case and we shall want money we can nurse him between us of course but for my own part i have not a penny i have turned out his pockets and rummaged through his drawers result nix i asked him about it while his mind was clear and he told me he had not a farthing of his own what have you i have twenty francs left said rastignac but i will take them to the roulette table i shall be sure to win and if you lose then i shall go to his sons-in-law and his daughters and ask them for money and suppose they refuse bianchon retorted the most pressing thing just now is not really money we must put mustard poultices as hot as they can be made on his feet and legs if he calls out there is still some hope for him you know how to set about doing it and besides christophe will help you i am going round to the dispensary to persuade them to let us have the things we want on credit it is a pity that we could not move him to the hospital poor fellow he would be better there well come along i leave you in charge you must stay with him till i come back the two young men went back to the room where the old man was lying eugene was startled at the change in goriot's face so livid distorted and feeble how are you papa he said bending over the pallet bed goriot turned his dull eyes upon eugene looked at him attentively and did not recognize him it was more than the student could bear the tears came into his eyes bianchon ought we to have the curtains put up in the windows no the temperature and the light do not affect him now 
it would be a good thing for him if he felt heat or cold but we must have a fire in any case to make tisanes and heat the other things i will send round a few sticks they will last till we can have in some firewood i burned all the bark fuel you had left as well as his poor man yesterday and during the night the place is so damp that the water stood in drops on the walls i could hardly get the room dry christophe came in and swept the floor but the place is like a stable i had to burn juniper the smell was something horrible mon dieu said rastignac to think of those daughters of his one moment if he asks for something to drink give him this said the house student pointing to a large white jar if he begins to groan and the belly feels hot and hard to the touch you know what to do get christophe to help you if he should happen to grow much excited and begin to talk a great deal and even to ramble in his talk do not be alarmed it would not be a bad symptom but send christophe to the hospice coquin our doctor my chum or i will come and apply moxus we had a great consultation this morning while you were asleep a surgeon a pupil of gaul's came and our house surgeon and the head physician from the hotel dieu those gentlemen considered that the symptoms were very unusual and interesting the case must be carefully watched for it throws a light on several obscure and rather important scientific problems one of the authorities says that if there is more pressure of serum on one or other portion of the brain it should affect his mental capacities in such and such directions so if he should talk notice very carefully what kind of ideas his mind seems to run on whether memory or penetration or the reasoning faculties are exercised whether sentiments or practical questions fill his thoughts whether he makes forecasts or dwells on the past in fact you must be prepared to give an accurate report of him it is quite likely that the extravasation fills the whole brain in which case he will die in the imbecile state in which he is lying now you cannot tell anything about these mysterious nervous diseases suppose the crash came here said bianchon touching the back of the head very strange things have been known to happen the brain sometimes partially recovers and death is delayed or the congested matter may pass out of the brain altogether through channels which can only be determined by a post-mortem examination there is an old man at the hospital for incurables an imbecile patient in his case the effusion has followed the direction of the spinal cord he suffers horrid agonies but he lives did they enjoy themselves it was father goriot who spoke he had recognized eugene oh he thinks of nothing but his daughter said bianchon scores of times last night he said to me they are dancing now she has her dress he called them by their names he made me cry the devil take it calling with that tone in his voice of delphine my little delphine and nassie upon my word said the medical student it was enough to make anyone burst out crying delphine said the old man 
she is there isn't she i knew she was there and his eyes sought the door i'm going down now to tell sylvie to get the poultices ready said bianchon they ought to go on at once rastignac was left alone with the old man he sat at the foot of the bed and gazed at the face before him so horribly changed that it was shocking to see noble natures cannot dwell in this world he said madame de beauseant has fled from it and there he lies dying what place indeed is there in the shallow petty frivolous thing called society for noble thoughts and feelings pictures of yesterday's ball rose up in his memory a strange contrast to the deathbed before him bianchon suddenly appeared i say eugene i have just seen our head surgeon at the hospital and i ran all the way back here if the old man shows any signs of reason if he begins to talk cover him with a mustard poultice from the neck to the base of the spine and send round for us dear bianchon exclaimed eugene oh it is an interesting case from a scientific point of view said the medical student with all the enthusiasm of a neophyte so said eugene am i really the only one who cares for the poor old man for his own sake you would not have said so if you had seen me this morning returned bianchon who did not take offence at this speech doctors who have seen a good deal of practice never see anything but the disease but my dear fellow i can see the patient still he went eugene was left alone with the old man and with an apprehension of a crisis that set in in fact before very long ah dear boy is that you said father goriot recognizing eugene do you feel better asked the law student taking his hand yes my head felt as if it were being screwed up in a vice but now it is set free again did you see my girls they will be here directly as soon as they know that i am ill they will hurry here at once they used to take such care of me in the rue de la jusseine great heavens if only my room was fit for them to come into there has been a young man here who has burned up all my bark fuel i can hear christophe coming upstairs eugene answered he is bringing up some firewood that that young man has sent you good but how am i to pay for the wood i have not a penny left dear boy i have given everything everything i am a pauper now well at least the golden gown was grand was it not ah what pain this is thanks christophe god will reward you my boy i have nothing left now eugene went over to christophe and whispered in the man's ear i will pay you well and sylvie too for your trouble my daughters told you that they were coming didn't they christophe go again to them and i will give you five francs tell them that i am not feeling well that i should like to kiss them both and see them once again before i die tell them that but don't alarm them more than you can help rastignac signed to christophe to go and the man went they will come before long the old man went on i know them so well my tender-hearted delphine if i am going to die she will feel it so much and so will nassie i do not want to die they will cry if i die and if i die dear eugene 
i shall not see them any more it will be very dreary there where i am going for a father it is hell to be without your children i have served my apprenticeship already since they married my heaven was in the rue de la jusienne eugene do you think that if i go to heaven i can come back to earth and be near them in spirit i have heard some such things said it is true it is as if i could see them at this moment as they used to be when we all lived in the rue de la jusienne they used to come downstairs of a morning good morning papa they used to say and i would take them on my knees we had all sorts of little games of play together and they had such pretty coaxing ways we always had breakfast together too every morning and they had dinner with me in fact i was a father then i enjoyed my children they did not think for themselves so long as they lived in the rue de la jusienne they knew nothing of the world they loved me with all their hearts mon dieu why could they not always be little girls oh my head this racking pain in my head ah ah forgive me children this pain is fearful it must be agony indeed for you have used me to endure pain mon dieu if only i held their hands in mine i should not feel it at all do you think that they are on the way christophe is so stupid i ought to have gone myself he will see them but you went to the ball yesterday just tell me how they looked they did not know that i was ill did they or they would not have been dancing poor little things oh i must not be ill any longer they stand too much in need of me their fortunes are in danger and such husbands as they are bound to i must get well oh what pain this is what pain this is ah ah i must get well you see for they must have money and i know how to set about making some i will go to odessa and manufacture starch there i am an old hand i will make millions oh this is agony goriot was silent for a moment it seemed to require his whole strength to endure the pain if they were here i should not complain he said so why should i complain now he seemed to grow drowsy with exhaustion and lay quietly for a long time christophe came back and rastignac thinking that goriot was asleep allowed the man to give his story aloud first of all sir i went to see madame la comtesse he said but she and her husband were so busy that i couldn't get to speak to her when i insisted that i must see her Monsieur de Rostaud came out to me himself and went on like this. Monsieur Goriot is dying, is he? Very well. It is the best thing he can do. I want Madame de Rostaud to transact some important business. When it is all finished, she can go. The gentleman looked angry, I thought. I was just going away when Madame de Rostaud came out into an antechamber through a door that I did not notice and said, Christophe, tell my father that my husband wants me to discuss some matters with him and i cannot leave the house the life or death of my children is at stake but as soon as it is over i will come as for madame la baronne that is another story i could not speak to her either and i did not even see her her waiting-woman said ah yes but madame only came back from a ball at a quarter to five this morning 
She is asleep now, and if I wake her before midday, she will be cross. As soon as she rings, I will go and tell her that her father is worse. It will be time enough then to tell her the bad news. I begged and I prayed, but there it was no good. Then I asked for Monsieur le Baron, but he was out. To think that neither of his daughters should come, exclaimed Rastignac. I will write to them both. Neither of them, cried the old man, sitting upright in bed. They are busy, they are asleep, they will not come. I knew that they would not. Not until you are dying do you know your children. Oh, my friend, do not marry, do not have children. You give them life, they give you your death-blow. You bring them into the world, and they send you out of it. No, they will not come. I have known that these ten years. Sometimes I have told myself so, but I did not dare to believe it. The tears gathered and stood without overflowing the red sockets. Ah, if I were rich still, if I had kept my money, if I had not given all to them, they would be with me now. They would fawn on me and cover my cheeks with their kisses. I should be living in a great mansion. I should have grand apartments and servants and a fire in my room, and they would be about me all in tears, and their husbands and their children. I should have had all that. Now I have nothing. Money brings everything to you, even your daughters. My money, oh, where is my money? If I had plenty of money to leave behind me, they would nurse me and tend me. I should hear their voices. I should see their faces. Ah, God, who knows? They both of them have hearts of stone. I loved them too much. It was not likely that they should love me. A father ought always to be rich. He ought to keep his children well in hand, like unruly horses. I have gone down on my knees to them. Wretches! This is the crowning act that brings the last ten years to a proper close. If you but knew how much they made of me just after they were married, oh, this is cruel torture. I had just given them each eight hundred thousand francs. They were bound to be civil to me after that, and their husbands, too, were civil. I used to go to their houses. It was my kind father here, my dear father there. There was always a place for me at their tables. I used to dine with their husbands now and then, and they were very respectful to me. I was still worth something, they thought. How could they know? I had not said anything about my affairs. It is worth while to be civil to a man who has given his daughters eight hundred thousand francs apiece, and they showed me every attention then. But it was all for my money. Grand people are not great. I found that out by experience. I went to the theatre with them in their carriage. I might stay as long as I cared to stay at their evening parties. In fact, they acknowledged me their father. Publicly they owned that they were my daughters. But I was always a shrewd one, you see, and nothing was lost upon me. Everything went straight to the mark and pierced my heart. I saw quite well that it was all sham and pretense, but there is no help for such things as these. I felt less at my ease at their dinner-table than I did downstairs here. I had nothing to say for myself. So these grand folks would ask in my son-in-law's ear, Who may that gentleman be? 
the father-in-law with the money-bags he is very rich the devil he is they would say and look again at me with the respect due to my money well if i was in the way sometimes i pay dearly for my mistakes and besides who is perfect my head is one sore dear monsieur eugene i am suffering so now that a man might die of the pain but it is nothing to be compared with the pain i endured when anastasie made me feel for the first time that i had said something stupid she looked at me and that glance of hers opened all my veins i used to want to know everything to be learned and one thing i did learn thoroughly i knew that i was not wanted here on earth the next day i went to delphine for comfort and what should i do there but make some stupid blunder that made her angry with me i was like one driven out of his senses for a week i did not know what to do i did not dare to go to see them for fear they should reproach me and that was how they both turned me out of the house o oh god thou knowest all the misery and anguish that i have endured thou hast counted all the wounds that have been dealt to me in these years that have aged and changed me and whitened my hair and drained my life why dost thou make me to suffer so to-day have i not more than expiated the sin of loving them too much they themselves have been the instruments of vengeance they have tortured me for my sin of affection ah well fathers know no better i love them so i went back to them as a gambler goes to the gaming-table this love was my vice you see my mistress they were everything in the world to me they were always wanting something or other dresses and ornaments and what not their maids used to tell me what they wanted and i used to give them the things for the sake of the welcome that they bought for me but at the same time they used to give me little lectures on my behaviour in society they began about it at once then they began to feel ashamed of me that is what comes of having your children well brought up i could not go to school again at my time of life this pain is fearful mon dieu these doctors these doctors if they would open my head it would give me some relief oh my daughters my daughters anastasie delphine if i could only see them send for the police and make them come to me justice is on my side the whole world is on my side i have natural rights and the law with me i protest the country will go to ruin if a father's rights are trampled underfoot that is easy to see the whole world turns on fatherly love fatherly love is the foundation of society it will crumble into ruin when children do not love their fathers oh if i could only see them and hear them no matter what they did if i could simply hear their voices it would soothe the pain delphine delphine most of all but tell them when they come not to look so coldly at me as they do oh my friend my good monsieur eugene you do not know that it is when all the golden light in a glance suddenly turns to a leaden grey it has been one long winter here since the light in their eyes shone no more for me i have had nothing but disappointments to devour disappointment has been my daily bread i have lived on humiliation and insults 
i have swallowed down all the affronts for which they sold me my poor stealthy little moments of joy for i love them so think of it a father hiding himself to get a glimpse of his children i have given all my life to them and to-day they will not give me one hour i am hungering and thirsting for them my heart is burning in me but they will not come to bring relief in the agony for i am dying now i feel that this is death do they not know what it means to trample on a father's corpse there is a god in heaven who avenges us fathers whether we will or no oh they will come come to me darlings and give me one more kiss one last kiss the viaticum for your father who will pray god for you in heaven i will tell him that you have been good children to your father and plead your cause with god after all it is not their fault i tell you they are innocent my friend tell every one that it is not their fault and no one need be distressed on my account it is all my own fault i taught them to trample upon me i loved to have it so it is no one's affair but mine man's justice and god's justice have nothing to do in it god would be unjust if he condemned them for anything they may have done to me i did not behave to them properly i was stupid enough to resign my rights i would have humbled myself in the dust for them what could you expect the most beautiful nature the noblest soul would have been spoiled by such indulgence i am a wretch i am justly punished i and i only am to blame for all their sins i spoiled them to-day they are as eager for pleasure as they used to be for sugar-plums when they were little girls i indulged them in every whim they had a carriage of their own when they were fifteen they have never been crossed i am guilty and not they but i sinned through love my heart would open at the sound of their voices i can hear them they are coming yes yes they are coming the law demands that they should be present at their father's deathbed the law is on my side it would only cost them the hire of a cab i would pay that write to them tell them that i have millions to leave to them on my word of honour yes i am going to manufacture italian paste foods at odessa i understand the trade there are millions to be made in it nobody has thought of the scheme as yet you see there will be no waste no damage in transit as there always is with wheat and flour hey hey and starch too there are millions to be made in the starch trade you will not be telling a lie millions tell them and even if they really come because they covet the money i would rather let them deceive me i shall see them in any case i want my children i gave them life they are mine mine and he sat upright the head thus raised with its scanty white hair seemed to eugene like a threat every line that could still speak spoke of menace there there dear father said eugene lie down again i will write to them at once as soon as bianchon comes back i will go for them myself if they do not come before if they do not come repeated the old man sobbing why i shall be dead before then i shall die in a fit of rage of rage anger is getting the better of me 
i can see my whole life at this minute i have been cheated they do not love me they have never loved me all their lives it is all clear to me they have not come and they will not come the longer they put off their coming the less they are likely to give me this joy i know them they have never cared to guess my disappointments my sorrows my wants they never cared to know my life they will have no presentiment of my death they do not even know the secret of my tenderness for them yes i see it all now i have laid my heart open so often that they take everything i do for them as a matter of course they might have asked me for the very eyes out of my head and i would have bidden them to pluck them out they think that all fathers are like theirs you should always make your value felt their own children will avenge me why for their own sakes they should come to me make them understand that they are laying up retribution for their own deathbeds all crimes are summed up in this one go to them tell them that if they stay away it will be parricide there is enough laid to their charge already without adding that to the list cry aloud as i do now nassie delphine here come to your father the father who has been so kind to you is lying ill not a sound no one comes then am i to die like a dog this is to be my reward i am forsaken at the last they are wicked heartless women curses on them i loathe them i shall rise at night from my grave to curse them again for after all my friends have i done wrong they are behaving very badly to me eh what am i saying did you not tell me just now that delphine is in the room she is more tender-hearted than her sister eugene you are my son you know you will love her be a father to her her sister is very unhappy and there are their fortunes ah god i am dying this anguish is almost more than i can bear cut off my head leave me nothing but my heart christophe shouted eugene alarmed by the way in which the old man moaned and by his cries go for monsieur bianchon and send a cab here for me i am going to fetch them dear father i will bring them back to you make them come compel them to come call out the guard the military anything and everything and make them come he looked at eugene and a last gleam of intelligence shone in his eyes go to the authorities to the public prosecutor let them bring them here come they shall but you have cursed them who said that said the old man in dull amazement you know quite well that i love them i adore them i shall be quite well again if i can see them go for them my good neighbor my dear boy you are kind-hearted i wish i could repay you for your kindness but i have nothing to give you now save the blessing of a dying man ah if i could only see delphine to tell her to pay my debt to you if the other cannot come bring delphine to me at any rate tell her that unless she comes you will not love her any more she is so fond of you that she will come to me then give me something to drink there is a fire in my bowels press something against my forehead if my daughters would lay their hands there i think i should get better mon dieu who will recover their money for them when i am gone 
i will manufacture vermicelli out in odessa i will go to odessa for their sakes here is something to drink said eugene supporting the dying man on his left arm while he held a cup of tisane to goriot's lips how you must love your own father and mother said the old man and grasped the student's hand in both of his it was a feeble trembling grasp i am going to die i shall die without seeing my daughters do you understand to be always thirsting and never to drink that has been my life for the last ten years i have no daughters my sons-in-law killed them no since their marriages they have been dead to me fathers should petition the chambers to pass a law against marriage if you love your daughters do not let them marry a son-in-law is a rascal who poisons a girl's mind and contaminates her whole nature let us have no more marriages it robs us of our daughters we are left alone upon our deathbeds and they are not with us then they ought to pass a law for dying fathers this is awful it cries for vengeance they cannot come because my sons-in-law forbid them kill them restaud and the alsatian kill them both they have murdered me between them death or my daughters ah it is too late i am dying and they are not here dying without them nasi fifine why do you not come to me your papa is going dear father goriot calm yourself there there lie quietly and rest don't worry yourself don't think i shall not see them oh the agony of it you shall see them really cried the old man still wandering oh shall i see them i shall see them and hear their voices i shall die happy ah well after all i do not wish to live i cannot stand this much longer this pain that grows worse and worse but oh to see them to touch their dresses ah nothing but their dresses that is very little still to feel something that belongs to them let me touch their hair with my fingers their hair his head fell back on the pillow as if a sudden blow had struck him down but his hands groped freely under the quilt as if to find his daughter's hair my blessing on them he said making an effort my blessing his voice died away just at that moment bianchon came into the room i met christophe he said he is gone for your cab then he looked at the patient and raised the closed eyelids with his fingers the two students saw how dead and lustreless the eyes beneath had grown he will not get over this i am sure said bianchon he felt the old man's pulse and laid a hand over his heart the machinery works still more is the pity in his state it would be better for him to die ah my word it would what is the matter with you you are as pale as death dear fellow the moans and cries that i have just heard there is a god ah yes yes there is a god and he has made a better world for us or this world of ours would be a nightmare i could have cried like a child but this is too tragical and i am sick at heart we want a lot of things you know and where is the money to come from rastignac took out his watch there be quick and pawn it i do not want to stop on the way to the rue du helder 
there is not a moment to lose i am afraid and i must wait here till christophe comes back i have not a farthing i shall have to pay the cabman when i get home again rastignac rushed down the stairs and drove off to the rue du helday the awful scene through which he had just passed quickened his imagination and he grew fiercely indignant he reached madame de Rostaud's house only to be told by the servant that his mistress could see no one but i have brought a message from her father who is dying rastignac told the man the count has given us the strictest orders sir if it is monsieur de Rostaud who has given the orders tell him that his father-in-law is dying and that i am here and must speak with him at once the man went out eugene waited for a long time perhaps her father is dying at this moment he thought then the man came back and eugene followed him to the little drawing-room monsieur de Rostaud was standing before the fireless grate and did not ask his visitor to seat himself monsieur le comte said rastignac monsieur goriot your father-in-law is lying at the point of death in a squalid den in the latin quarter he has not a penny to pay for firewood he is expected to die at any moment and keeps calling for his daughter i feel very little affection for monsieur goriot sir as you probably are aware the count answered coolly his character has been compromised in connection with madame de Rostaud. he is the author of the misfortunes that have embittered my life and troubled my peace of mind it is a matter of perfect indifference to me if he lives or dies now you know my feelings with regard to him public opinion may blame me but i care nothing for public opinion just now i have other and much more important matters to think about than the things that fools and chatterers may say about me as for madame de Rostaud, she cannot leave the house she is in no condition to do so and besides i shall not allow her to leave it tell her father that as soon as she has done her duty by her husband and child she shall go to see him if she has any love for her father she can be free to go to him if she chooses in a few seconds it lies entirely with her monsieur le comte it is no business of mine to criticize your conduct you can do as you please with your wife but may i count upon your keeping your word with me well then promise me to tell her that her father has not twenty-four hours to live that he looks in vain for her and has cursed her already as he lies on his deathbed that is all i ask you can tell her yourself the count answered impressed by the thrill of indignation in eugene's voice end of section eleven